You have removed your helmet. What's worse, you did so of your own free will. You are no longer Mandalorian. The creed teaches us of redemption. Redemption is no longer possible since the destruction of our homeworld. But what if the mines of Mandalore still exist? All was destroyed in the Purge. Is this inscription not Mandalorian? Welcome everyone from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 505, Mando's Back. I'm, as always, your host, Jason Hunt, and with me, the this is the way to my I have spoken, we have Carl LeClaire. <laughs> oh, Jason, so glad to be back. So excited to talk some Mandalorian. Oh, man. Uh, season three is here, and Carl and I literally could not be happier. <laughs> this premiere, Jason, it is it has sent me into the stars again. I am so excited about this show. I'm so excited and in love with Star Wars again. Um, I was sharing with some friends over the weekend, friends who aren't even particular Star Wars fans, <laughs> that I was just like... Man, the last week I have fallen in love with Star Wars all over again, and man, I I was I was just on a bit of a Star Wars slump for a little while, and there's who knows why, who really cares at the end of the day, but this show was just a shot of adrenaline in the arm when I watched it last week, and I've I've now watched it six times, <laughs> um, so I'm averaging once a day at this point, and I just <laughs> loved the heck out of this episode, and so excited to be back in this story universe. Um, so really excited to talk about you know that that first episode, the apostate, and of course as this is released, it is also on the day that the second episode comes out. So we are a week behind, and we appreciate you still listening to our thoughts on on the first episode of the season. Um, but Jason, yes. Oh my goodness. What, you know, just general thoughts when you sat down and watched this for the first time, what did you think? Oh, I mean, I couldn't stop grinning. Like literally (laughs) I couldn't stop grinning. I was so happy to be back, uh, with these characters. Uh, I was excited about, you know, some of the, the cool action sequences we got and they teased a bunch of different story points. And they all have me excited. And I'm very curious to see how they're all going to weave together uh, throughout the rest of this season. So, yeah, it it did everything a season opener needed to do for me. And I I was I was so excited. Uh, What about you? General thoughts when you first saw it. (laughs) Well, I mean, I kind of insinuated already. I mean, I just it just recaptured my love for Star Wars. It it was such a magical episode and it was it was fun. It was fast and intense. You know, it could not have been more George Lucas. Um, You know, if you trim out the recap and the five minutes of end credits, uh, I mean, the episode is about a 32 minute tight story where a lot happens in 32 minutes. And it's just it's action beat after action beat. And then in between all those action beats are character moments and character development moments and setting up the world and making you feel like you're in the star Wars galaxy again. Um, you know, I, this is the kind of star Wars storytelling that just tickles me in all the right, (laughs) right places. I mean, like you, I was, I was smiling the whole time and I went into it with a, almost like a little bit of trepidation, not because I didn't believe it would be good, but just again, like 
uh, I mean, we've talked about it before, and this is not to, to to belabor the point, but you know, Andor just didn't work for me. Like, it, it was it a brilliant show for sure, but it just didn't feel like my kind of Star Wars. It was just a little too dark and a little too heavy for me. Um, and then you get something like this, which is just super light and super fun. Um, and life is hard and dark enough as it is. I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need that mirrored in my uh, in my Star Wars <laughs> stories. Uh, so. I really appreciated a, just a really fun, lighthearted story that was also chock full of mythology and, uh, you know, friendship and so many of the big themes that that draw me to Star Wars. So, you know, when I finished watching it uh, a week ago in the morning, you know, I, I was I was upset that I had to go to work, but then I watched it again at work when I had a minute, <laughs> um, and, uh, <laughs> like watched it when I got home again that night. Like I just... I, I've, I've just been loving it so much. Uh, so yeah, I mean, in all honesty, Jason, I think, uh, this might be my first, my favorite season opener of all three seasons of Mandalorian. Like, uh, I definitely prefer it to the Marshall and that's not because I didn't like the Marshall, but I just thought this was more fun. Um, and while the, you know, the, the, the very first episode of Mandalorian certainly set this story up. So there's a specialness to that, but Mm-hmm. I don't think I've had this much fun with the first episode of a Star Wars show. And I don't know if I ever have. So uh, it was just absolutely brilliant and fun as heck to me. So uh, I love the heck out of it. Yeah, no, it's it's pretty darn good. I I would say it's probably my favorite uh, season premiere for Mandalorian as well. Uh, I did like uh, the Marshall more than the opener for season one. Um, mm. all right, I did enjoy that. I, I loved the the nostalgia and the Western aspects of all of it. Uh, and I thought, you know, the, the Marshall is just such a, a great character. Cobb Vant, mm. um, such a great character. Uh, and, uh, you know, who knows where he'll be, where he'll show up next. Um, we, we know he's, uh, Boba's got him in the back to tank. So we'll see. Um, but who knows where he'll show up next? If it'll be here, if it'll be somewhere else, um, who knows? But uh, yeah, this was definitely a ton of fun, and I'm going to go ahead and just jump right into Please it. Do. One of the, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I, I loved from the get go is how they they did a double fake on mm. me in the opening sequence. Yeah, uh, they made me think, and I, I I'm sure I'm not the only one. They made me think that we were watching a flashback of when Din was dedicating himself to the children of the watch, uh, you know, taking on the helmet for the first time and, uh, you know, making his, uh, his vows to this order. Uh, so, and then of course the, the awesome monster fight with that, uh, basically a dinosaur crocodile on steroids, um, was freaking amazing. And then Din flies in at the very end to, rescue the day in his modified N one starfighter, which is one of my favorite starfighters, possibly my favorite starfighter period in all of star Wars, the N one Nebu starfighter. Um, so yeah, I was, uh, I was eating up everything about that opening sequence, uh, and loved the fact that they, they got me so invested in it that I thought that, you know, that teen, that teenage boy was Din Djarin, uh dedicating himself to the watch. And this was a flashback. So <laughs> uh, I thought this thought the exact same thing, Jason, um, and, and and kind of appreciate it for the fake out. Uh, and I'm going to I'm going to compare it to something and shamelessly plug my new other podcast dedicated to the new Batman movie. Um, and uh, in the very opening sequence of the new Batman film, uh, we get what looks like a young Bruce Wayne and they kind of they kind of fake us out and give us a similar origin story for like a, a different character. Um, but it's not actually Bruce Wayne. And that was the same thing. Like when this this episode opened, I'm like, oh, cool. Like we're getting the flashback to Din, you know, putting the helmet on and, and swearing to the creed. Um, when we saw the boy, he's he's his complexion was such a, in such a way that I was like, I don't think that could be a young Pedro. Like he looks just like, like too much of like a a European white kid. Um, but I was like, but you never know, like it could be. 
And and then when we saw uh, Paz Vizla, I was like, I don't think this is a flashback. Um, but all that to say, like, I'm sure it doesn't matter that it's not a flashback, right? Like, I'm sure it was something very similar to him. And for somebody like me, Jason, this opening scene is unbelievably cool. It's literally a baptism, right? It's him yeah. being, this is, this is a sacrament of initiation. Um, he is being welcomed into this Mandalorian group and you know, it's, it's very Catholic. Um, and I say that with like a small C, I don't mean like institutionally Roman Catholic Catholic in the sense of this entire scene is something mixed with word and sacrament. You have these these words, these words that mean something, you're swearing this allegiance. Uh, the words matter. The words matter because they're they're a sense of belonging. And then there's also the sacrament. There's something, there's a physicality to this. It's not just words. It's also the putting on of the helmet. It's also the the pouring of the water. I mean, granted, we don't get to the, she doesn't get to actually pour the water on before the crocodile monster attacks. But right. Right, it's it's this mix of word and physical sacrament that makes this scene like sacred and special. And I, I, I mean, I'm a college chaplain for goodness sake. Of course I loved this. <laughs> like it was awesome. Um, yeah. And of course, you know, she spent the whole period right before then, you know, forging yeah. his helmet. Yeah. So, which is, which is super cool. Yeah. You know, I, I I love the the forging sequences that they do in this mm. show with the armorer. She it, they're really well done. Um and it you can see the dedication and the uh deliberate uh attention to detail and focus and meaning that is put into everything that she makes. Absolutely. Uh, which is just fantastic. Yeah. Um I saw someone online and I feel like a jerk for not remembering who it was. It was somebody on Instagram though. It was one of the accounts I follow and I'm so sorry that I'm not remembering who it is, but they made a great point that they commented that the, the, the young person being, you know, welcomed into the crowd into the clan is probably a foundling. And they posited that the foundling was found by Pax Vizsla um, because the way they shoot it, right? Like they continually give us close-ups of, of his helmet. And could it just be simply because we know who he is, right? So there's a familiarity there for us as an audience, but they kind mm-hmm. of posited like, what if this is his foundling? And it's a moment of tremendous pride for him. And I was like, Oh, I really love that. So again, I feel like a jerk for not remembering which Instagram account it was that said it. Um, but I at least want to say that it's not my idea. <laughs> um, I wish I was clever enough to have picked up on that. Um, but I thought that was really cool as well that, you know, that this could potentially be Pox Vizsla's uh, a part- particular foundling. Um, but yeah, it was that's it's entirely possible. Such a great, great opening sequence. And I got to say, when Mando showed up, I, I will say it was a little predictable. I was like, OK, they're not able to they're clearly not able to beat this with their blasters on their own. Obviously, Mando's going to show up. Uh, so I wasn't particularly surprised and yet, Jason, I still pumped my fist in the air. Like it was, you know, it was it oh. was like one of those moments, like the clones showing up in Geonosis Arena. It was, you know, it's the resistance and the X wings flying yes. over the wall. Right? It was one of those moments. It's like even though I kind of knew it was coming, it was still awesome. I, I mean, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. Uh, I had, you know, I was like, that's I, I, again, like you. I was like, I don't know, is this really Din? I don't know uh, with the kid, but I was. I was like, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to go with it. And I just accepted it. Um, So I was a little surprised uh, by who the rescuer was. Uh, They, they did get me, but I'm also, I'm also the kind of person who would just, you know, uh, dive into all of this completely 100% uh, and, and just go with it. So um, yeah, so I definitely was pumping my fist when, when <laughs> yeah. Din showed up and, and saved the day. So it was pretty it freaking was, awesome. Yeah, it was really great. Um, uh, goodness, Jason, the next the next moment I wanted to talk about um, is when they're in hyperspace heading for yeah. N- Navarro um, and 
this this was the scene like I, I enjoyed that opening. I thought it was really fun. I, I really enjoyed the whole quest language of like Mando's on his quest now. Right. Like, um, yes. You know, I've talked talked to you a few times, even though I don't think you still had the chance to watch it. But I, I really love Willow. Right. The new the new show Willow was so good. And uh, our pal Joe Hogan was the one that turned me on to actually watching it. And he was like, oh, it's just like a D&D campaign. Um, and even though I don't play d and I have tremendous respect for folks that do um, <laughs> and the creativity it takes. And that's what Willow was. The entire first season of Willow is just them on a quest. And that's exactly what the, you know, that opening sequence with him and the armor was. It was he's like, OK, I'm going to go on a quest then. Um, so I like that. But then we get this scene of them in hyperspace and. I think it might be one of the most beautiful scenes I've ever seen in Star Wars uh, because it is the sense of wonder incarnate. Like it is it is wonder personified and getting to see Grogu just kind of get lost in the beauty of this space. Um, there's a great scene in uh, the, the latest High Republic novel, Convergence, where one of the Jedi characters is is kind of ruminating internally about how much they love being in hyperspace because it's this it's this it, you know it's this kind of like in between space like you're not in any particular space at one time right it's there's something very sacred about being in hyperspace is kind of how the mm-hmm. the Jedi character is is, is ruminating about it um, and I I felt like that resonated really well with what's going on with Grogu here and and of course he sees the the per, the pergle. Um, you know, which is just really cool. I mean, obviously all those implications to, to what that might mean with rebels is there for sure. It's like, okay, great. You know, Thrawn's been mentioned. Ezra's out there. Here's the Purgle. Great. But all that aside, I just loved it for the, even if you didn't watch rebels, right? Like if you're just a casual star Wars fan who just likes Mandalorian, cause you're a baby Yoda fan, you know, a scene like this works perfectly because the visuals are great and the music. So, um, Ludwig Goranson actually is not scoring the third season of Mandalorian. Um, I think it's because he was probably busy working on Wakanda forever. Um, I mean, they're still using his themes, but the the score is being done by Joseph Shirley, who did the score for Book of Boba Fett. Um, right. And uh, so I imagine this entire piece of music here is all Joseph Shirley, and it's absolutely beautiful. And I can't wait to get this <laughs> on on the soundtrack. Um, yes. But it's it's even the music. It's just it's got these bells and it's got these. It's just this beautiful little musical motif that just fills me with tremendous wonder. And this is exactly what I'm looking for in Star Wars. Like, I want moments like this. I mean, as good as the twin sunset is, as good as Anakin saying, I want to be the first to see them all. This might be my favorite scene of wonder in all of Star Wars Um, because it's because there's no words that are necessary to give you the sense of what Grogu is is feeling. And. The fact that he then goes down into like tuck himself into Din to me is also like he's I almost wonder if Grogu is almost overwhelmed by the by the experience that he just also needs to be somewhere safe. Um, They're huge. I mean, come on. Gigantic pergill right outside the window. And he's a little tiny thing. Uh, I I would imagine it was one of those things where it's first like, whoa, what is that? Oh, that's so cool. Oh, there, there's a bigger one, and there's more of them. Okay, maybe it's time to go climb into bed with that. <laughs> you know, like, you know, that's that's totally what I I got. And you're right, this is a scene of wonder. And this is here's the thing about this scene is it is only a, it you know, I won't say only because it's dropping little i'll definitely say it's dropping uh hints and indications of what we're probably going to get out of the ahsoka show and its connections to the uh end of rebels um but this scene is designed to just be a sort of a scene of wonder it doesn't have like a a a a second or a, a an alternative motive like the the sunsets uh for luke that's a, a call to adventure, mm-hmm. you know, as he's looking away, you know, that's not just a scene of wonder. It is a wonderful scene and yeah. it has that wonder and that, that awe in it, but it's also a call to adventure. It's the, it's a clarion call uh, for the hero. This is just a moment of, of pure magic and wonder. And I love it so much. It's beautiful. 
I, I, I'm very curious to see how it is going to, you know, ha- the implications of what we're going to get in Ahsoka now, uh, based off of what happened in Rebels, because we've seen Pergil in live action, uh, are, are interesting to think about. But it also makes me think we're probably going to see the Pergil again uh, mm, in yeah. this season. Yeah. I think, that, you know, we just got silhouettes of them. And uh, for those of you who are like, what, what's a Pergil? There's giant space whales that can go through hyperspace and is the reason why the galaxy was able to develop light speed technology. Mm. Um, long story short, that's what a pergil is. Um, but yes, I, I absolutely loved it. It was it was fantastic. It was beautiful. And uh, I, I'm very happy. That we got it. <laughs> yeah, I, just the closing shot of it, right? That's it, that very wide angled shot with you know the little N one with these the the pergil are so much bigger in the background, but it's yeah, goodness, like that's just that shot alone. I was like, that is beautiful, and it just felt very George Lucas. And I, I don't mean I, I'm always cautious when I say things like that because I I don't mean this to be like things that don't look like George Lucas, therefore aren't Star Wars, but it it just really made me feel like I was in that galaxy far, far away. Um, and, uh, that's what I want from Star Wars. Like I want to feel like I'm somewhere else. I want the visuals to sweep me away from the mundanity of my reality. Um, because that's part of what draws me to Star Wars. And this scene was exactly that. Yeah, absolutely. And it is one of those things where, you know, the, there's no, there's not really much of a connection that you can make to our real world other than, well, maybe you're a little ship on the sea and there's a, a pod of whales out there, mm, but yeah. in the fog, it's actually a really, that's, cool, that's, that's a really cool kind comparison. of the only connection that you yeah. could make. And it's a connection that most people will never experience in their real, their lived experience, yeah. you know, right. just in imagination or stories. Uh, so it, it is still sort of like a mythical, you know, kind of far out there idea. And I love it. I love it so much. It's, it's beautiful. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so w- were you, were you surprised with how nice Navarro looks now, especially in comparison to the previous seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they've, they've definitely got their irrigation system uh, working now. So uh, <laughs> uh, it's obviously doing well, not only because, you know, the, They've got some, you know, foliage growing in the city. Uh, they've got a, a lot more people walking through Navarro. There's Moncala now, uh, Moncala Mari walking through there. But of course, Grief Karga, the high magistrate <laughs> of Navarro, is walking around with the most ostentatious cape we have ever seen in Star Wars. Like, there is. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but. Director Krennic doesn't have anything on this. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm with you. <laughs> I, think it's, I mean, it's so big and yeah. opulent and ostentatious that he has to have two little droids run around to hold it up. Um, this is just amazing. to make sure it's, it's, it's not going to drag in, on the ground and get dirty. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, oh, I loved man. it. Um, well, I the, so the next the next scene that I wanted to mention is Jason. We get a balcony scene. You know, I mean, ah, like this, you and your balcony. This scenes. like it's like it. this episode couldn't this episode couldn't really get any better in my mind after the the Pergil scene because I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is wonder incarnate. Like this this episode's already amazing. Um, and then we get a balcony scene. I was like, are you kidding me? Um, and it's everything I want from balcony scenes. Uh, it's it's a moment where characters share parts of themselves. So it this this balcony scene is mostly about grief. It's about <laughs> grief, karga, not grief, sadness. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> You're cor- that is correct. <laughs> yeah, it's on, it's on it. so, yeah, you gotta be careful there. Um, but I like that that grief, karga is telling you know Mando all about. 
you know, how how well things are going on Navarro, what his kind of hopes and his dreams are for this planet and all the aspirations he has for it. I mean, to me, the 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 most perfect balcony scene, of course, is in Revenge of the Sith with Anakin and Padme. Um, and that whole scene is right. It's these two characters dreaming about what their life is going to look like together when they have their children. Um, and that's to me like what a good balcony scene is in Star Wars. It's about revealing something about who the character is and what their motivation is, what they're after. And this whole balcony scene is about Grief Karga explaining how he how he sees Navarro moving forward and and how prosperous he sees it. And I think I think, I think there's a surface level of easily just saying, yeah, Grief Karga just wants to be more and more wealthy, right? Like he just he's just looking to become even more opulent. But I think the deeper reality is is he really cares about this place. I actually I felt like Grief Karga felt a little bit similar to Lando in, in Empire Strikes Back, right? With how Lando genuinely cares about the people of Cloud City. Um, you know, when he gives them that warning, like I, I, you know, I advise everyone to leave before more Imperial troops arrive. Grief Karga, it, it seems to have a very similar disposition with the folks of Navarro. Cause even, he even tells Mando, like the people of Navarro have been really good. They've been really, you know, they've been really adamant about working for this. Um, so I love this little balcony scene where Grief Karga just kind of lays out his plans and makes an offer to Mando, like saying, look at this beautiful world we're building. We'd love for you to, you know, hang up the, hang up the saddle and stay here with us. Right. It's a somewhat similar offer to what Omera offers in, in episode four of season one, right? This, this opportunity for, for Din to finally just settle down. Um, and then unfortunately he has to tell grief that he's kind of there on, on business. Um, so I, I just love this scene so much. It's, it's a character laying out their dreams and inviting another character to participate in those dreams. Uh, I love it so much. Yeah. I mean, grief obviously is, is reveling and enjoying in the fact that he has prestige and wealth now, like there's no doubt about that. However, the same at the same time he truly does care and he really not only is he happy that he's succeeding but he's happy that navarro is succeeding and that navarro is growing and navarro is is being able to take care of its own now um and he's very and you can see it in moments where he talks about you know when when din is like i can't be your marshal why don't you just petition to the republic to to get one and he's like no i don't want to have to rely on another bureaucratic you know entity far away we want to be independent so he it's it's moments like that where you can see no he really does care he really does want the best for the city for the people and uh it's it's covered a little bit by the bluster and the 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 cheesy uh enjoyment of the opulence that he obviously has um but he he truly is a uh an understanding and protective uh leader uh, as you know we saw with uh his old buddies the pirates mm-hmm. who showed up do you enjoy so, that scene <laughs> i i did i did i love the whole pirate uh plot that we're getting now yes. um because uh, one, it makes me hope that perhaps um, Hondo will show up at some point. Mm. Um, but uh, that's just a a Jason wish list thing that would be lovely <laughs> if it happened. Uh, I'm sure you're not the I'm only not one gonna... that would love to see a live action Hondo. Oh man, that'd be so so great. Um, but it's also it's fun to have pirates in star Wars. Like yes. it's just, it's just fun to have pirates in star Wars. And obviously after what happens between the shootout uh, in the city streets and then the dogfight in the asteroid field above hand, uh, above the planet, the pirates are not just going to leave. They're, they're going to be a problem uh, in the future. And I'm very curious to see how that's going to happen. And I, I'm, you know, based on some of the shots that we've seen in some of the trailers and just the way the story looks like it's going, the pirates will probably try and take it out on Grief Karga and Navarro mm-hmm. in order to get Mando to come back uh, so they can deal with Mando. Uh, but 
yeah, I'm very happy that we got all the pirates and the the story that we are are dealing with there. Uh, it's nice to have space pirates. Yeah, in Star Wars. Yeah, you know those pirates are awfully insolent, Jason. Yeah, insolence. <laughs> We are pirates. We don't even know what that means. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love you for getting it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, you say you put Star Wars pirates and insolence together and Hondo just rises within me uh, to finish the line. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that that whole little scene, too, was it, it felt very Western, too, right? With the, the, the shootout that happens there. Um, I love these pirates as well. And, and I think part of what I just enjoy about that, that subplot, cause I agree with you. I think that they're going to show up in a big way. Um, oh, yeah. and, and grief doesn't really have an army or anything. I mean, he's in need of a marshal. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I appreciate this fun little subplot. Cause I think in part, again, what I meant, what I'm really hoping we'll get more of in season three Season two tied in a little too much to the main Skywalker saga. Um, And I think part of the reason a lot of folks loved season one is it really felt like it was a standalone thing, right? It existed very much on its own. Um, And I think what I'm, what I anticipate to appreciate about this is uh, one of my favorite new Marvel movies is Spider-Man Homecoming. And I love at the end of the movie, right, that Peter Parker commits to just being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He, he turns down the, the invitation to be an Avenger because he's just going to be on the streets helping the little guy. Right. Um, and I love stories like that, that, that kind of are just small stakes. We don't need everything to be galactic scales. And and coming off of Andor and Kenobi, which both had pretty galactic scales uh, tied into their plots. And I'm not, I'm not belittling them for that. Um, but it's nice to just have something a little bit smaller scale like this. I, I appreciate stories like this uh, as often as we can get them. Um, so, yeah, I, I like you. I also appreciate the the pirate plot. And and that may I wanted to mention just the the dogfight in space It is one of the coolest yeah. dogfight scenes I've seen in 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 Star Wars. Um, it's just so darn fun. Um, and the thing I really wanted to highlight about it is how it kind of reminded me the way Din kind of hides in the asteroids and then appears and smokes one of the fighters and then disappears again. Yes. It reminded me of that scene in Batman Begins when Batman first shows up and, you know, he's just taking out these the, the bad guys one at a time. Like, where are you here? <laughs> you know, like, uh, <laughs> like he just kind of shows up out of the shadows. And, and even the music in that in this particular scene is really good. And we get this boom, like every time he takes somebody out and then that music goes boom as he like shows up in the foreground behind the three fighters. It's, it's very much like Mando is a ninja in space. <laughs> you know, well, we we've seen him do this before too. In season two, when he was on the prison ship, um, right. Or season, season one, uh, one. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Season one on the prison ship, uh, when he's taken out, um, you know, Bill Burr and the others, uh, I'm sorry. I'm totally. I just watched these episodes. What's his, Berg, what's his name? It's, Berg and um, uh, Berg. Sh- sh- oh shoot, Shion uh, and um, Zero is the droid. Zero. And uh, I don't the... remember the guy who they spring though. Quill. No, that's not Quill. Quinn. No. Quinn. <laughs> Quinn. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, all of them. So it, when he when he's making his way through the uh, the ship after he's you know gotten out of his cell and he's taken them out one by one, you know, it, that's very much like what he did in space this time. Yeah. And he had a super fast and nimble starfighter to do it in. Right. And he couldn't could have done not that. have, yeah. he could not have done that in the razor crest. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Such so. a great, and then, oh my gosh, what is the pirate captain's name? I keep forgetting. Oh, I'm, hold on. I've, stuff pulled up he, so i mean I he looks like pizza back. the hut which is awesome and swamp thing and also the the one villain in pirates of the caribbean um i've heard as well uh just, gorian shard gorian shard um, yeah uh oh what's his face with the tentacles in pirates of the caribbean i've never uh, yeah i've never actually seen that one I, I know who the character is but i've never seen that movie so i don't i wouldn't know 
Um, yeah. But I'll say this: what that, what that, all the pirates, and especially um, what's his name again? Gosh, I'm so bad at remembering. Gorian Shard. Gorian Shard. He reminded me so much of the uh, um, the main villain from Ewoks Battle for Endor. I, there's just something really campy and cheesy about him. Um, mm. and, and that was the thing to like and rewind for a second to the, that adorable scene with the Anzellans like Star Silly Star Wars. I love silly Star Wars. <laughs> um, and that pirate, <laughs> that pirate captain, like he looks cool. Like I love the outfit design. I love that he's a different looking kind of alien. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it just it's a bit it's almost a bit silly and goofy, but it's also like, yeah, that's Star Wars, though, too. Like Star Wars is is silly and goofy. Um, and uh, I just loved it so much. Yeah, absolutely. Now it was, uh, it's really great that the show is Mandalorian knows what it is. The show knows what it is mm-hmm. and it's comfortable with what it is enough to, to the fact where it doesn't have to take itself super seriously anymore. Yep. And it's allowing itself to there the creators are allowing themselves to just have fun with the show now and with the characters and let the characters have fun with the show now. So yeah, I'm, I'm super happy with, with what we got and the, the level of adventure excitement and silly campiness that we got in this episode uh, was just absolutely fantastic. Absolutely. However, one of the uh, the final things I wanted to bring up about all of it was the the last bit, which is not campy or silly whatsoever. Uh, when Din goes and finds Bo-Katan. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, obviously this is his big focus, is to be able to get to Mandalore so he can do the whole redemption, bathe in the waters under the mines and and uh, have this this baptismal redemption mm-hmm. so he can rejoin his clan. Uh, and Bo-Katan is really pissed at Din. She's bitter, she's angry, and she's holding a grudge. And I, I don't know. She's so er- angry and and bitter i don't know what her move is going to be moving forward uh because i i i would be shocked if this is all we get from her uh mm-hmm. in the show like she's got to come back i just don't know if we're going to get to a point where din is able to convince her to come along with him or if she's going to go after din in order to get the saber the dark saber um uh, she, she's on the edge of a knife there, and I don't know which way she's going to end up falling off because it. I could see both happening, mm. and and that's the exciting thing about uh, all of this. And obviously, I'm very curious to see what's going to happen on Mandalore and his whole journey there. But Bo Katan has got me, you know, has got my curiosity peaked. Like she's a wild card, and I don't know what to expect with her. And that makes me excited uh, because, like I said, I literally could see her going either way uh, in this situation and perhaps both. Maybe she'll join him, go to Mandalore, and then still try to take him out to mm. get the Darksaber. Like, I, I could I could see all of it happening. And uh, that, I'm, I can't say I'm surprised necessarily surprised to see her mental state at this point but i also for whatever reason didn't necessarily expect it to be this uh i don't know if if abrasive is the word to use uh towards din um Mm. but yeah yeah i well i wrote in my notes i just wrote it broken bow (laughs) um yeah because that's really what i see is just a very depressed uh, despairing character when he when he rolls up in there and a couple of things that I think are worth noting is just I mean again her overall disposition of she's just kind of given up 
Um, and I think that really mm-hmm. surprises Din. And this is part of what makes me love Din so much. I, I think I think Mandalorian as a character is one of my favorite Star Wars characters um, is because he he doesn't really give up. Uh, there, there's almost a naive optimism to him without it being like over the top. Like he's not, he's not young Anakin in episode one optimistic. Um, but I think he's really taken aback by the fact that Bo has just given up. He's like, so you've, you've, you know, walked away from your plans to retake Mandalore. Like he's almost surprised. And I think disappointed. Um, and what's funny to me is, is, you know, when she's like, you still have the dark saber? I do. Just go wave it around. They'll follow you. The way she says it to me, I almost read it as she's just like, this is such stupid superstition. Like, I've done so much for my planet to try to rebuild it. But because I don't have this one stupid thing, they wouldn't follow me. Right? Like, I think she almost, yeah. I, I think it's, I think like in the finale of, you know, season two of Mandalorian, like I think she's really committed to getting that dark saber. She really wants to confront Gideon, win it from him so that she can go back. I think it's less because she has a tremendously high respect for the sanctity of the dark saber and more of just understanding that this is what it's going to take to be the symbol that people need on Mandalore. So I'm going to do it. But when that's taken away from her, I think, I mean, we don't know exactly what it looked like when she went back there. But she, I mean, she paints it out like everybody just kind of melted away. Um, and it's like, I think for her, she probably went back thinking, all right, I don't have the dark saber, but still like, I, I love my planet. I love Mandalore. I want to, you know, I want to commit to it getting better again. And I think she just, she may have had the, just the optimistic hope of like, that's enough, right? That should be enough, but it wasn't enough. And I think that's really what, what broke her. Um, and it's funny when she's, you know, she she indicts the the children of the watch once again, like, you know, it's your clan that splintered us. But it's like, whoa, hold your horses there, Bo. You were part of Death Watch. <laughs> you know, that didn't mm-hmm. help either. Um, and, you know, it's just it. I mean, I'm sure she's going at some point. She's obviously made peace with the fact that she's part of Mandalore's broken history as well. Um it, and just based on still images that we've gotten already, like she clearly teams up with with Din. Um, I don't know. Again, like I don't know the end goal. Is is she going to try to win it back through combat? What's what? I'll, how that'll all shake out? But he's obviously going to get her to to come along to some capacity. Um, mm-hmm. But I think what's just really surprising is uh, like how much her faith in in her plan has shaken. And I think. Din yeah. is like, he's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to Mandalore and I'm going to come back with proof that it's not poisoned and that there's a chance. Um, and I think, I don't know, I, I like this scene a lot too, because I, I think Din is bothered by her like acquiescence to, 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 to this fate. Um, and I genuinely think like he wants to get her back in the game. Like he genuinely respected her, her quest to, to retake Mandalore, to rebuild it into something, uh, into something good again. Um, Mm -hmm. so I think he really wants to inspire her as well. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really appreciated those, those, those kind of emotional stakes as well. Yeah. And it's going to be very interesting moving forward because obviously, you know, Din is going to go to Mandalore with the intent of uh, cleansing himself of his sins in order to uh, get back into the Children of the Watch group that he's a part of. However, he's having to work with other Mandalorians who are outside of that that cult, that that group of that he's familiar with, and he's already worked with Bo, uh, and he knows uh, what an impressive you know leader and fighter she is. So it's going to be very interesting to see what his response to all of it will be once he gets to Mandalore. Everything he has to do to get to the point of of taking this this redemptive step, um, this physical redemptive step in the, the waters underneath the mines. And then what that will mean on the other side of it, you know, 
who's going to help him get there? Well, it's not going to be the armorer and Paz Vizla, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. They don't want anything to do with him until he's, you know, cleansed himself. But if Bo Katan is the one who helps him get there, that's going to have, that's going to put a lot on his mind about who he is moving forward. And I think that's a big question to, uh, kind of look forward to see how it plays out and uh, what the end result of all of this will be. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I think um, that's the thing that intrigues me most about the season is Din going to Din having to come to terms with what it means for him to be a Mandalorian. Um, because like you said, I mean, Bo-Katan and the armor kind of represent two different paths um, and, and I want to know more about the children of the watch. I want to know what is the creed? Where did it come from? Um, you know, uh, I want to know more of their history. Um, we know quite a bit of bows, but I want to know more about the armors. Cause I think I was talking to a friend about this over the weekend. I think it's, it's easy to just be like, oh, the armor sucks and the children of the watch suck. They're just a bunch of fanatics, but what if they're not? You know, what if they're not, you know, who else are in fanatics from an outside perspective? Jedi, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. swearing off family and living like in an isolated way, you know, away from the galaxy and, you know, refusing any form of attachment like the Jedi are equally fanatical if you really think about it. Um, So are the children of the watch just trying to maintain some sort of purity? Because, I mean, are they just a reaction group to the fact that Mandalore has splintered for for several years now it's fallen apart from death watches influence. And then you had, you know, Darth Maul show up and, you know, all these horrible things that just fractured this planet. Perhaps the children of the watch are just trying to recapture something that they feel was lost. Um, and the whole helmet something, thing could yeah. just be a way of trying to say that, like who you were before, right? Cause the children of the watch, I think what I find most fascinating about this movement is that they are, the foundlings, right? It's all about foundlings. It's about people, you know, I, I just finished rewatching season one of Mandalorian yesterday and watched it in a while, but I love that at the end when, um, you know, it's stated in the finale, like Mandalorian isn't a race, it's a creed, right? It was the first time we'd ever heard that. Um, and it's this whole idea that it's, it's not about your blood that makes you a Mandalorian. It's about this commitment to a creed, to this, to this way of being, um, in this way of, you know, walking through life. And we even get that, that little bit when he's with Grogu, you know, like being a Mandalorian isn't just about knowing how to fight, you know, it's about how to navigate the galaxy. Um, that's, yeah. that's why I love oh, that phrase. This is the way, right? Like this is the way it's, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it's almost a religious statement, right? Um, so mm-hmm. I just bring that up because again, I, I don't know, maybe they are just terrible fanatics and they aren't the right thing. We don't know enough about them yet to say that. But I think as I was thinking more and more about it, like he really wants back in. And I think we're doing a disservice to Din as a character by just assuming, oh, he just wants to go back to this toxic place. Well, we don't know that it's toxic. All we know of his history is that Din, his story began in trauma like almost every Star Wars heroes does. And he's rescued Uh by this group that he feels cared for him. Like he tells Omera in... Episode four, I was happy. They took me in, raised me, cared for me, right? Like this is his family. Um, and are they, do they have some maybe peculiar rituals? Yeah. So do the Jedi. <laughs> um, yeah. so, and I, I mean, I like the well, Jedi. And, and, you know, and one could argue that the way that they operate could be more uh, in line with the traditional Mandalorian ways uh, much more so than what Bo-Katan has been doing mm-hmm. for the last couple of decades uh, since Mandalore fell. So, you know, there's there's arguments to be made on both sides of this. And, and yes, there are definitely some peculiar things and some uh, difficult things to understand and to to deal with in terms of, of what the children of the watch do how they operate they're very strict they adhere very much the code but it's a code that everyone willingly submits to 
So if you're willing to submit to a very strict code, you understand the consequences for going against it. Yeah. Din obviously understood all of those. And because we saw the the immense struggle it took him to just to take off his helmet, you know? Yeah. So it's, while yes, it's a strict code, it's a very insular group, he knew that and he accepted that. And so he knows what happens if you do something that doesn't follow the, the code. Uh, he's very knowledgeable of it. You know, he talks about it all the time. What happens if you if you don't follow it and, and why he reacted so almost viscerally mm. when Bo-Katan showed up the first time and she and her her fellow Mandalorians just took off their helmets willy nilly like he nearly barfed in his helmet. Um, so, <laughs> like. It was that up to him. Yeah. yeah. So I don't necessarily see him going full over to doing uh, something like Bo-Katan, but I could, I could see him making a middle path between the two factions. And that's what I would love. Um, And yeah. Oh my gosh. That's what drove me nuts about what where they've taken Luke Skywalker's character in Book of Boba Fett, you know, making Yoda make that or making Yoda, making Grogu make that choice, you know, and the way they set him up in Last Jedi is like, oh, geez, I guess Luke just tried to recreate the the prequels, um, which I just don't think is what Luke would have done. But whatever. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, that's what I'm really hoping for Din as well, is that he kind of goes this middle route, that it's somewhere in between bow and the armor no here's here's the thing i'm I'm, i've heard this this argument against luke and how people are mad at luke for making grogu make the decision in book of Boba fett it's a decision that needed to be made though Mm. and you know grogu can't do both he just can't they because the jedi is you know as we were just talking about, like the the watch, it's a code, it's a creed, and you have to submit to it, and you have to follow it. But Grogu has this attachment to Din and and the Mandalorian, uh, you know, the the adventure of all of that. So Grogu has to make the choice: is he willing to sacrifice all of that in order to pursue the objective of becoming a Jedi? If he does, fantastic. That's wonderful. If he doesn't, then he needs to go back because it's he can't have both. And the sooner he makes the decision, the better it's going to be for him. Luke made him made a hard made Grogu make a hard decision. Yes. But it's because but he did it out of love and out of caring and out of wanting the best for Grogu. And he presented the options. He didn't weigh it Mm. You know, he didn't put his hand on the scale yeah, yeah. on either side. He was like, here are your options. You have to choose one. I can't choose for you. Uh, it's one or the other. It, these are two different lives that you can lead, but you can't have both of them. You have to make the decision. So yeah. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't get the, uh, I, I personally don't get the, the disgruntlement towards Luke <laughs> that that I know has been out online, um, because I it in the long run, much better for Grogu to have made that to have gone through that moment of difficulty and you know to make a hard decision now than have to you know then start training as a Jedi real you know for a couple of years realize his heart's not in it. He's not wanting to do this and then try to find Din and then maybe find out that Din is dead or Mm. his life is completely different now. And then he has neither. So. Yeah, yeah. no, that's, that's, I think that's a very, that's a very valid point that he, he, he isn't saying he's not weighing it either way. Um, 
and Grogu's still young and has a lot to learn. Um, but I don't know. It still just seems like, because I, I think what I would say is I disagree that you couldn't do both, that you, you have to choose one or the other. Like you either go the Jedi route or you go the attachment route. I don't think it ought to be one or the other. I think it, it can and should be both. Um, well, I'm not going to say, I, I, I don't think, I, I don't think that the choices between Jedi and attachment, I think the choices between Jedi and Mandalorian. Mm, yeah. Um, because the attachment to Din is going to take Grogu with the Mandalorians. And it's uh, a much different path and a much, it's a path much further away than from the Jedi. Sure. You know? Yeah. 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 So I, I don't think, I think the choice is, is not between Jedi and attachment It's between Jedi and Mandalorian. That's fair. Um, yeah. And considering the name of the show that, uh, you know, uh, I'm not, terribly surprised with the uh the choice grogu made so <laughs> um yeah neither yeah. am i neither am i um but uh yeah but to to just bring that back to to mandalorian though right i, I think th- this first episode did such a good job of certainly reestablishing the world um, mm-hmm. while also pointing us forward with it and showing us that there's been progress. This is just a little thing we didn't even mention, but I love that Grief Karga has a gray beard now, right? I mean, he's aged yeah. quite a bit. And, um, you know, if, uh, Favreau was in an interview, I think like a week ago, and, and basically said, you know, this is a couple of years later, right? Like the, the first two seasons of Mandalorian actually take a cup, like about a year or so. And, you know, there was all this like online hoopla about like, well, this doesn't make any sense with cash. I don't care about those those noises. It's like, whatever. Like, it, it's just he's just trying to establish that Din and Grogu were together for a while. Then they were apart for a while. Um, but what I love is even if Grief Karg has been the high magistrate only for a year and has already gone gray. Love it. That was Barack Obama after his first year of presidency. That man had nice, dark, beautiful hair. And then all of a sudden it was white. <laughs> like, I think that's what yeah. all that responsibility and, and anxiety does to you. <laughs> So it just turns you gray. I mean, um, every single president just looks terrible. If, yeah. Uh, it, if, yeah. From if, the, 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 the time they go into office, the first time they're all happy and chippers, like we're going to do something. And then they come out the other side. It was like, uh, that was a lot again. Argument. That's so hard. Yeah, exactly. Right. But, but I just, exactly. I love that little caveat though of, of like, and it's not yeah. that he looks significantly older, but it's just it, there's a sign of he, he's really investing himself in this project and it's it's aging him a bit, which I think is just a really great thing. So this episode, again, like it, it establishes the world we're in. It's it's moved the world forward a little bit. And and then everything is like we have all these little quests, like the main quest is, of course, Din's desire to get back into, you know, the children of the watch and to go to those waters and and cleanse himself for redemption but now he's got this other side quest of um getting this part for ig11 and the side quest now probably two of like helping Bo get her mojo back and 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 recommitting herself to mandalore so you've you know there's a lot of plot pointing going on in this episode um but there's also just so many great little character moments i i uh I love the episode so much, and and I'm so excited to watch the second one t- t- tomorrow. Well, I, if you as you're listening to us, you've probably already watched it. So, but uh, I'm excited for it. Right. <laughs> yes, me too. Me too. Very, very much looking forward to uh, what we get moving forward uh, in in this this season, the show. Um, so happy to have Mandalorian back. I didn't realize I missed it so much. So, me neither. But I'm glad it's coming back. Um, exactly all right so jason before we go um just want to let folks know we're actually going to be back next week um with a a really fun special episode we got a a couple of good friends of ours who are going to be um star wars they will have exclusive star wars art prints in celebration this coming april over there in london um, so we're going to be joined by by our pal Joe Hogan and, and Chris D, who both have some incredible prints that are going to be available at Celebration. And I'm really excited to have them on next week to talk about their prints and just just have like a general fun Star Wars conversation about what's inspiring us in Star Wars lately. Um, 
So hopefully you'll you'll come back uh, again next week to to join us for that conversation. Absolutely. And then don't worry, folks. We know it's Mando March. <laughs> uh, we'll get another another Mando centric episode out before the end of the month. So uh, look out for more Mandalorian goodness coming from the Wampas Lair near you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, on that note, Carl, if people want to weigh in on their thoughts about the opening episode of Mandalorian Season 3 or anything, uh, any other theories they have about Season 3 of Mandalorian, where can people get in touch with us? Uh, we are on Instagram at the TheWampusLair. You can also follow us on Twitter at WampusLair. You can always email us at WampusLairPodcast at gmail.com. Excellent. And uh, anything else before we close out this episode, Carl? This is the way. I have spoken. All right. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair podcast. been episode number 505, Mando's Back. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. Wampus Lair.